everyone! This week we have with us Dr. Seba Aaron Javia to discuss creativity in healthcare technology and business. Dr. Aaron Javia is the CEO and founder of Caroline, a digital tool used by healthcare systems in conjunction with the electronic medical record to facilitate more efficient clinical workflow, provider communication, and patient safety in the hospital. She is also a distinguished hospitalist and previous associate chief medical informatics officer at Penn Medicine, with recent induction as a fellow into the American Medical Informatics Association. We are really excited to have her here with us today. And okay. please call me Suba, not Dr. Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, um, so Suba, would you mind describing for me briefly the premise of Caroline for our listeners? Sure. It's hard to wrap it up in one sentence, and I will say that it's morphed from when I first started working on it to now. Um, But now the way I I think about it and talk about it is Caroline is a care orchestration platform so that everyone involved in the care of a patient is on the same page about what needs to get done, why it needs to get done, and who's doing it. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is data visualization. So with electronic health records and all of these other amazing tools that we have that gather and collect data, they don't always have a great way to access and understand that data. So the second piece of Caroline, which fits into the care orchestration is making it really easy to access the information you need about patients in a way that's easy to understand so you can then make informed decisions. And if I were to sum up my my goal or our goal really with Caroline is we want it to be easy for clinicians to do the right thing for patients. All too often, we have good intentions. We want to do the right thing, but we just don't have the right tools Mm -hmm. to make that happen. And that's part of what we are trying to change. It sounds like there's a lot of thought that goes into what is orchestrating clinical workflow as a whole. What was your inspiration in creating Caroline in the first place? What gaps in the hospital care were you noticing that brought you to this project? Sure. So this will be a little bit of a journey, but mm-hmm. I'll start by saying it's everything we've done is a team effort. So it's not me. It's been a team, an interdisciplinary team. And I think that's part of why it's been so great is we really have focused on bringing expertise from a lot of different areas together to build Caroline. But we actually built the grandparents of Caroline when I was a resident. So it started with focusing on handoffs. And this is where I was saying the message and the purpose of it has grown But we started with a very narrowed focus on how do we make sure that we as just the primary medical team are on the same page within health system or within a hospital. And when I was an intern, we were using Word documents, which is actually what a lot of places use, which is a table with free text boxes that you print and carry around. And actually, when I was an intern, they weren't even networked. So you had to wait updated at a computer, definitely dating myself. And I had a resident who taught me early on that failures in communication are a huge part of errors that happen in medicine. And it just really impressed upon me that, you know, we're human, we make mistakes, but we shouldn't make preventable mistakes. We certainly shouldn't make ones that are just because of technology or because of bad processes. And that really then colored how I saw everything that happened in medicine. And it really made me realize, wow, this is a potential error. This was almost an error. So at the end of my intern year, I basically spoke to my program director in medicine, who's amazing, Lisa Bellini. And I said, Lisa, there is a better way for us to do this. Can you please help me get resources to make something that would be better? Mm -hmm. So she did. And I worked with the IT department at Penn to create uh, basically an online version of what we're doing in Word. And it was able to bring in some data from our different EHRs, which at the time was like more than 10, and have that same process we were doing in Word, but online. 
So at least we could access it anywhere. It brought in certain things like demographics, but it was still really a printed list, but it really helped a lot. And that was actually the first thing that made me realize I wanted to go into informatics as a career specialty, Mm -hmm. because I saw the impact it was having on the ability of my colleagues to provide better care, to be more efficient. And I just realized that my ability to impact lives through technology and systems improvement was exponentially greater than it was through direct patient care, which I still love, Mm -hmm. but I just felt like I was able to contribute more through technology. So that was the first version of it. Um, I ended up joining faculty at Penn as a part-time hospitalist, part-time advisor to our IT department, ultimately, as you mentioned, becoming an associate CMIO. But we realized that this platform we had created had some limitations. One of them was that we couldn't bring medications into it because there was no automatic feed out of the EHR for that. So we were hand typing in all the medications, which meant they were always wrong because they're constantly Mm -hmm. changing. So we rebuilt a whole new program uh, or platform within our EHR, which at the time was all scripts. And that's what the health system used for the next nine years, which was fine. Um, I mean, it was better than what we were doing, but when you are building within another program or an EHR, you're limited by the functionalities of that program. Um, So I never really loved it, but it worked. And the goal with Caroline, I really have to give credit to the CMIO at the time, who was Bill Hansen. He actually said that he wanted to make a paperless handoff. And honestly, I thought he was crazy. I was like, we can't make a paperless handoff. Like we use these eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. (laughs) How could we possibly fit this onto a, you know, onto a device? And I was the only one who had made handoff systems for the health system for the last 10 years. So he talked to me about it and he's like, okay, well, if you don't think you can do it, I'll find someone else. Like, uh, no, no, I'm going to do it. (laughs) So I said, I can do this, but we have to have iPads, iPad minis, or at least a tablet. Uh, So I have the screen real estate. I did all the original designs and mock-ups for iPads Uh, about a few months into it. Once I had all the mock-ups done, I even like had focus groups with surgery residents and all different types of residents. He said, just kidding, we're not going to get iPads for everybody because we just can't get that cleared through the budget. So it needs to be for phones. Mm. Like, okay, I, I can't do this for a phone. Like, there's no way. And at this time, this was in 2013, we just didn't have phones very much used in medicine, right? Like, it's just, it was a new concept other than phone calls and text messages were new. I went to Roy Rosen, who's chief innovation officer at Penn. I was like, well, you have to help me convince Bill that this isn't going to work and that we need iPads. Like, it's just not going to work. And after a lot of discussion, Roy was like, look, do your very best to do it for a phone, get the team together, do everything you can. And if you can't make the design work, and then you go back and you say, okay, this is what we tried and this way it won't work. So I said, okay. So we did and we brought the team together and it worked, you know, and I think the key was we really had to throw out our assumptions of what was and wasn't possible and employ things like don't start with the solutions really ask five whys and get down to the problem that you're trying to solve and then design for that. So, you know, we were starting with, oh, we want to get rid of paper. But what we had to think about was, well, why do we have paper? Well, we have paper because we don't have easy access to data. So we're writing vitals, labs, meds, all this stuff on paper when we're not at a computer. And we need a way to keep track of what we're doing because there's no place to do that in the EHR. There still isn't a place to do that in the EHR. Bottom line was once we started with that process and then really drew from other industries and how they use mobile devices. I mean, I remember sitting in the room and thinking, I read books on my phone. I write emails on my phone. I do banking on my phone. Why can I not also do this on my phone? 
So that really was a turning point for us. But I think your original question was the inspiration. So the inspiration really was that, which is we should be able to use technology in a way to make our our workflow better. Mm -hmm. And I think in everything I do, it's really about efficiency. It wastes time when we write the same thing on 10 different pieces of paper. At the end of the day, it was really about improving patient care. That's amazing. Thanks for bringing me through that journey. I feel like I have a whole stack of papers every time I come home from the hospital and I don't know what to do with it. And it's just so inefficient. I feel like I'm not doing things the way they should be with all the advances that we have. And I feel like Caroline really helped me think differently about the way that I can use data. You know, that's the standard. Just everywhere we go, I have to convince people that number one, paper is a problem. And number two, you can do it without paper. I mean, I had to convince myself, right? It's crazy when you think about how much paper is used. We measured it. We were printing over 14 million pages a year just at our four downtown hospitals, just for lists, for nursing and physician sign up, just the list, 14 million pages. That's like 180 trees a year. That's a lot of trees. I feel like we plant that many every year too. I kind of want to circle back to what you were talking about with having a whole team. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you have to have a huge amount of stakeholders involved. What was it like reaching out to all the different departments that you needed to bring in, talking to leadership in all of these different multidisciplinary areas? Can you sort of walk me through what a meeting was like having all these different people and sort of getting everyone to agree on reaching a goal for your project? Yeah. Oh, it was easy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think, so you're absolutely right. You need you need all stakeholders. And I will say, I think the areas where Caroline could improve most when it came out of the box was in the areas where I had less stakeholder involvement, mm-hmm. not because they didn't want to, but they just didn't have time. So number one, I think you have to have executive buy-in. So you have to have someone who says, this is a priority and this is why we should do it. Otherwise, everyone is just too busy to be able to take on something new. And then you also have to have the resources, meaning, and we didn't have any money, but we had IT resources. So no one wants to spend time on something that isn't actually going to get built. So -hmm. those two things we had, which were essential. I think the next thing is being very careful about how you define stakeholders, because usually what ends up happening is you have clinicians who say what they want, they're focused on solution, and then they go to IT and say, this is what we want, please build it. And then they come back like a month later or two months later and say, this is what we've done so far you know, it's very episodic. We very purposely approached this in um, an agile way. So there's a whole method of development you've probably heard of called agile methodology. And what it means is it's this constantly iterative process. And we didn't try to say, let's figure out what the end product is going to be. We did have insight what we wanted, but we started with pieces and we're constantly, you know, building on that and saying, okay, we've gotten this piece down. Now let's go to the next piece. So stakeholder meant the technologists and the engineers, they were always part of the design discussions. It meant people on the front line actually providing care. And that was actually where I focused all of the stakeholder involvement. Mm-hmm. Did not involve department chairs. I did not involve, other than the buy-in that, yes, we should do this. I just went directly to clinicians who practice to say, would you be interested in helping us make this? And I think who you get is important as well. Like you need people who can think beyond what they're doing now and have the ability to envision what it can be and how it can be better and who are excited about it, right? So we got a surgery resident, an OB resident, medicine resident, social worker, nurse, intermittently a pharmacist as they had time. 
a lot of different people who were going to approach workflow in a different way so that they could bring their expertise. And then it was a constant process. So that was to start. But then every step along the way, as we made designs and we would build prototypes, we would take it back to these different groups and say, what do you think? What can we do? How can we make it better? I actually remember when we, because my original designs had no vitals, labs, meds in it. Mm -hmm. It was just the handoff piece. And I um, took these mock-ups to the health staff committee and it was the surgery residents there who were like, this is not going to work for us unless you have all of the data that we need for pre-rounding. So like we spend 90 seconds in a room. We need to have all the data there. And part of the intern's job is to write all of that on paper so that we can rattle it off when we're in the, in the meeting or in the room. And that was such a light bulb for me. because like, oh, mm. you're right. We have to have all of that in here. So it was a great process. I loved it because when you give people the freedom to think about what's possible instead of or I should say what they would like instead of what they think is possible within a construct, then you get a lot of really creative mm. thinking. How is it working with IT? I feel like we hear a lot about how difficult and bulky Epic is and how hard it is to get something to change. How is it integrating Caroline or the tool into the EMR itself? Uh, that could be a whole one hour discussion in and of itself. <laughs> so I'm going to pick off of what I remember. So first is it's definitely easier to integrate when you're mainly doing reading from the EHR. Mm -hmm. Writing back to the EHR is much more complicated um, as it should be because you have to worry about the source and the data provenance and how you're making sure you're not overwriting something. So reading, which is the vast majority of what we do, is much easier. It's not easy. And when we first built it, we actually had Epic Outpatient, Allscripts Inpatient, Cerner Lab, and then all of these specialty specific, because we, we launched in 2014 before the health system went live with Epic everywhere. I think the key is really talented engineers and architects who understand how to bring data together in a way that's not limited, again, by what you think is possible by the EHR. They really drove that whole process in terms of timeline and stuff. That's uh, honestly, I think one of the best things about designing outside of the EHR, it's a balance. And this is definitely a cultural thing that is not necessarily accepted everywhere because some places think everything should be in the EHR and that's the only place it should live. But to your point, you know, you don't want your foundational platform to constantly be changing. So our view is that you have your foundation, which is your EHR, and then you need to have an interface that can be dynamic as workflow changes and as needs change for your providers of care. And that foundation, to be honest, is really focused on billing and coding and compliance and the business of healthcare. That's how EHR started, not as much on the delivery of care, which is changing. I mean, the pandemic highlighted that so well, which is we need to be agile in how we deliver care. Designing something that clinicians can use outside the EHR has that benefit because we can be very fast and we do. We put out updates like every four weeks whereas it takes months to do that usually mm -hmm. in, um, in an EHR committee. The thing I'd add is it's a partnership. And I very strongly believe that we need EHRs. We need that way to store and collect data and have that be the source of truth. And then you have things like Caroline that help you really supercharge that investment by saying, oh, great, you have all of this data. Now we can make it accessible and present it to clinicians in a way that is really what we had hoped collecting that data would do. Mm. I was wondering if you could speak to the relationships between 
yourself and your colleagues, between yourself and leadership, and also maybe the IT department. As you said, you're an associate chief medical informatics officer. So how did that shift um, in the way that you communicated with people and the way that people talked to you, saw you? Do people approach you with a lot of ideas they have? Or was it sort of like people just, you know, Well, they definitely talk to me as Saba, but you're right. It was different hats. And I will say that starting the business was a whole different world. If we talk about before starting the business, being hospitalist and then being an informatician and associate CMIO, it was definitely different, but it was great. My favorite thing was that I could advocate for the clinician. And I don't think that there's a lot of people who do that or not a lot of roles that are able to do that. And so it was a really positive relationship where people were like, oh, you're really listening to what we need and helping build those things and create solutions for us. I think it's one of the great things about the CMIO and associate CMIO role. Part of why I think it's really important to stay practicing. So you have that connection, you understand the problems that you're designing for. I think it becomes difficult when your ability to provide solutions are limited to something where you have very little control. So I really think I got the best of both worlds because I was able to take what people asked for and implement it. (laughs) And that was probably one of the best things about Caroline is when we launched, we had probably 300 things I still wanted to build in it, but they were not, you know, essential to start. And then we built a very easy way to get feedback from people. And initially people didn't use it that much because they're not used to being listened to. And we really said, like, please, please give us feedback. We care. And I would answer within five minutes, usually, but at the most within an hour. And then we'd implement the things people asked for. And it just created this really great relationship where people are like, oh, if I have an idea, they'll actually incorporate it. And that persists even now where after COVID, I had a call, a hospital colleague reach out and say, you know what? Uh, And this was early on. But there were a couple of things. One is they were like, I need to be able to call the rooms. And it's really hard for me to find patient room numbers because we're not going in as much, right? And mm-hmm. if there was a way that I could see that easily, that would be great. The second thing was, I don't have a very easy way to see who has COVID, who doesn't, who's being tested, who doesn't, because this was before we even made the flags and after mm-hmm. Epic. And then the third was, there are 20 labs I'm checking every day for every patient with COVID. And I have to go to all these different places to find it. Can you make that easier? So within weeks, we had every single hospital room phone number listed on the header of Caroline. So you could just tap it and call it. We created a flag that pulled based on, before we actually had a discrete flag for COVID based on a lab. So if it was ordered and received, we said, okay, this is a person under investigation. And then if it was positive or negative, we were able to say negative or positive. And that was such a huge relief for people to be able to look at a list of patients and say, okay, these are all the people that have labs outstanding. And then finally, you know, we made a filter of labs and said, okay, this is our COVID filter. And it pulls in all the 20 different things and we could change it. Like, okay, yes, we care about this now, or no, we don't care about this now. That is by far the most rewarding thing is when people are like, I need this to be able to do my job better. And then you're like, okay, let's do it. And then we put it in and they're like, this was great. So that part has been really great. I'll, I'll make one quick sentence on the other part, which is starting the business was really uh, a lot of I had to do a lot of introspection and it's not something I ever thought I would do. I had no intention of starting a business. I got a lot of mentorship and separately we can talk about what led me to actually do it. Um, but I felt like I was going to the dark side 
You know, it's, um, I've still been wrestling with that. I'm finally in a better place about it after three years, three and a half years. But I think it's so indoctrinated into us in medicine that industry's bad. At least this was the messaging I always got was nothing should be related to money and everything should be related to quality, which is true. And everything should be totally, you know, devoid of industry involvement. So when I said, okay, I'm going to start this business, I felt like I had gone to the dark side. I felt bad about it. I constantly was apologetic when I would talk about it. And after a lot of talking and soul searching, what I realized is it's really a balance. You need academic innovation and research and progress, but it doesn't go anywhere if you don't have industry to take Mm -hmm. it anywhere. So there, and sure, there's, you know, there's ways that both sides can do things that are not the best. But I try to take the, the best of both and say, you know what, we've created this awesome thing. We, it's only right that we now bring it to other places. And if I hadn't started the business, it would just only be sitting a pen. It still takes time for it. I still hesitate a little bit when I kind of think about it and I do my disclosure slide because I'm like, I promise I'm in this to, to do good. Um, but it's a definite metamorphosis. Yeah. I would love to delve a little bit deeper into that. If you can talk okay. about starting this business the mentorship and the growth, both in terms of business, but also in terms of personally, what were you thinking as you were going through this? Was it difficult trying to think so differently about bringing Caroline elsewhere? Um, What kind of relationships did you have to make? Things like that. Yeah. um, Another one hour conversation in and of itself. (laughs) So uh, I definitely had to seek out mentors that are not just clinical and academic, but that are entrepreneurs or business mentors. And I've reached out to people who are physicians who are in business, but then also entrepreneurs who are not in medicine, but are mission-driven the way I am. And that's been really important uh, in, in all those aspects. And I mentioned I had no intention of starting a business. What really made me take the leap was a, a personal friend who is an MD, MBA and had already made that leap himself. And helped me think about, honestly, I had always been thinking only about what do I want for Caroline? And I had never stopped to think about what do I want for my own professional development, which sounds crazy to say, but he made me stop and think about that. And I realized that I was able to do much more, you know, we had kind of almost saturated, right? Every inpatient service using it at Penn. So saying, okay, now I can take it somewhere else and do something more with it. I think one of the hardest things has been realizing that as a clinician, I can always in any situation say, look, you know what, we're having a difficult conversation, or we might disagree about things. But at the end of the day, the goal here is the patient. And so you can always bring people back to that. That's not always the case in business. In -hmm. business, you're going to have people whose priorities are not always the same. And that was a hard realization for me, which was that, whereas I'm in business, because I want to improve patient care, that's not everyone's goal. And balancing that is challenging and not always fun. I guess the other thing is just, you know, there's so much I didn't know and I still don't know about business. I honestly truly can say, I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose every day. (sighs) The pressure of that fire hose has decreased some recently and partly because I now have a partner who knows everything about business. And so that's Mm. been tremendously helpful, but you know, I think that's part of what I love about it is I'm learning constantly and I feel like a med student actually on rotations for the first time frequently. I have no idea what that word means. So I look up words all the time and 
I don't know how to interpret that, right? So I, mm. like, I remember as a med student, someone talking about a BO and creatinine ratio and like secretly trying to be like, okay, I have to look up the BO and creatinine ratio and understand why that matters. It's the same thing in business. Like, okay, they just said these words. I have to make a note to figure out why that matters for later. You know, it's, uh, I think that's the best part about it is this learning and it's, it's forcing myself to work outside of my comfort zone. Um, I saw a quote recently that I love and I think it's so appropriate for this, which is to have the courage to suck at something new. Mm. And I think that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember as a medical student, the language of the hospital is so different. And there's like, there's even a different cadence to it, different process oh, yeah. and rhythm to the way you have to speak in addition to the words and vocabulary themselves. And it mm-hmm. was so hard to sort of participate in the language that people were using and sound like you belong. Um, yeah. So I'm guessing it's like, again, like a whole the new same world exact thing. within same business. Exact thing. I yep. can't imagine attacking that from um, <laughs> perspective and trying not yeah. to talk just like a physician, right? <laughs> Yeah. Although I think that's one of the things I love is I can say like, look, I'm the clinician in the room, but I also have to be the Mm -hmm. CEO and the entrepreneur, but I can still bring it back to that. Right. And there's a lot of value in being the one clinician, right? And then having your whole different perspective, like all the years of training and everything. Right before this, you were in a meeting for trying to expand Caroline, right? Can you describe now, what is a typical day like for you? I'm sure there's a lot going on. Yeah, well, I can say since COVID, a typical day is Zoom meetings from uh, the time I come back from dropping my son off at school until I have to go work on getting dinner on the table or eat the dinner that my husband made. So it's just back to back to back to back. It's been great now that we can actually meet in person for certain things. But as an early company, everything is about showing that people actually want your product. We, our business is a little bit it's different than most because usually as a very early business, you just have an idea. So then you have to prove that you can Mm. make your idea and then prove that people like your idea and then prove that people will buy your idea. So we're a really young company, but we're not starting with an idea. We're starting with a product that's been in in use for six years that we know people love and that it's necessary. So there's a little bit of a mismatch between the stage of the company and the number of people in the company and what we need to do. But Again, now this is the whole industry is bad and I feel we're talking about it in the clinical setting, but mm-hmm. my focus right now in business is I have to, is making sales, is finding other places that want to use Caroline and think it's valuable enough to pay for it. And really even feels weird just to talk about, but that's the reality. So, you know, I'm talking to either potential customers, but then I'm also constantly trying to think about what Caroline is, but what it can be and how it can really impact workflow, not just at a micro level, but at a macrocosm level. And I have to figure out how to say that in business terms that not mean something to health executives, healthcare executives. Mm. It's, it's a whole nother language as we talked about. And that is what we've spent a lot of time on. I think we're finally gelling and understanding that. But really, in my, our vision at this point, as I said, is we started with handoffs, but now it's really, it's so interesting. What we are challenges with handoffs and keeping your team on the same page, it's the same thing when you think about the entire care journey for a patient, which is inpatient, outpatient, post-acute care, home care, telehealth visits, urgent care visits. 
how are you managing all of those different care settings where they all have different technologies that no one has unified access to, to be able to say, what needs to happen for this patient, right? And mm-hmm. if you're a, you know, generally healthy person who sees your doctor once a year, it's not an issue, but for people with complex diseases, there is a lot to coordinate. That is really what we are now focused on is saying we've built this platform that has this ability to bring people together. Let's use it now in the larger care continuum to say, you know, does it matter if you're a physician here, a nurse there, a social worker at this other place? If you're involved in the care of this patient, let's bring you together to say what needs to get done for this patient and who's doing. And then Mm -hmm. some of the ideas are around what can you do with that data? What just to learn from it and say, oh, this works here, that works there. Maybe we can try, you know, this workflow in this care setting because another one had benefits from that or saw efficiency improvement from it. So constantly thinking about ideas of how we can make things better. Yeah. It sounds like you guys have a really great vision, but also, as you said, are constantly iterating on that and in the process of getting feedback and modifying it and then creating a whole new product along the way. That's just so different from the original product, but also the same in that the intention and the goal is still to improve patient care. And that's exactly, I think I want to end with the last question. And that is, do you have any advice for healthcare professionals like yourself interested in pursuing technological innovations like yourself, starting a business or any creation and innovation within healthcare? I would say my simplest advice is to follow your passions and to not let the the busyness and the seemingly unchangeable system of medicine to make you feel like you can't do it and to find people who have either done what you're interested in or at least follow their passions and seek out that mentorship so you can get ideas and encouragement. So I did all the inpatient EHR training for our interns for a long time. And I would always encourage them to say, hey, if you have ideas, how we can make things better for anything related to technology, talk to me about it. And I would always see this influx of ideas early on Mm -hmm. and they would taper off like within months of of residency. And it was always so sad. And I would talk to people afterwards and be like, well, I just, I figure nothing can change anyways, or Mm -hmm. I just don't have time to think about it. And you know, that's a reality of, of how busy residency is, but also how hard it can be to get things done. But that's my advice is don't let that bring you down. Like there's always ways to do things and don't take no for an answer. So if you have an idea and you're excited about creating something, pursue it and talk to people who can give you advice and, and figure out how to connect you to resources that can make things happen. And there's always a different way to do something. And that includes practicing medicine. That includes contributing to medical care. There's, there's different ways that you can apply yourself. So think broadly. Thank you so much for taking the time for yeah. doing this interview with me. My pleasure. Thanks for reaching out. If any of you are interested in learning more about Caroline, you can visit the website at caroline.ai. That's C-A-R-E-A-L-I-G-N dot A-I. And if you want to ask more questions with Dr. Sabai Iranjavia about healthcare, innovation, or anything in general, you can contact her via her Twitter at Sabai Iran, S-U-B-H-A-A-I-R-A-N. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate.
or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.